Ready to build better benefits that maximize employee wellness? Join Infirmary Health and Rx Benefits June 4th ASHRA webinar as they discuss actionable advice for developing pharmacy programs with your pharmacy resources, how to build internal and external partnerships that boost employee wellness, and what pharmacy trends could impact future benefit design for all HR leaders. Register today. To learn more about Rx Benefits, visit employers.rxbenefits.com or click the link in show notes. Ashra Nation, welcome to this episode of the Ashra Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bo Bravo, and I'm joined in studio by our dynamic, amazing co-host, Luke Kerrigan. And I want you to get ready to be inspired, amazed. We delve into the remarkable journey of a visionary leader who really has left an incredible mark on the world of healthcare and the Detroit community. You know, Luke, this is special for me as a, as a native Michigander, um, Michigan yep. grad, uh, to be able to speak to our guest today uh, from Detroit and the history that he has in that community uh, is, is truly going to be uh, an honor uh, for me personally to have this discussion. Um, so today we have the distinct pleasure of introducing you to Bob Reiney. Obviously, he's a titan in his field. He's the president and CEO of Michigan's Henry Ford Health System. You know, I first got introduced, I think, to Henry Ford Health System through a few physicians who were my classmates at Michigan um, who worked at Henry Ford. I learned a lot about it um, through them, which was pretty incredible in and of itself. Um, so really, without further ado, let's welcome Bob to the show. Let's have a remarkable journey. Uh, insight, inspiration, leadership, culture, uh, and and so much more, I'm sure. So, Bob, uh, welcome uh, to the Astro Podcast. Thanks. Uh, it's great to be with you, Bo and Luke. Yeah, we love it. I mean, this is just, um, we are so fortunate um, as co-hosts, you know, let alone our audience that gets to hear from you, but all the people that we're able to bring on this podcast and have these discussions. I think Luke and I uh, learn just as much or more uh, that our audience uh, does as well. So it's, it's a special time for us. So you've had a long journey at Henry Ford, probably not a typical career these days uh, out in the corporate world. Um, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, Bob, how you got into healthcare and, and what, you're, what you're up to. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And uh, you know, like a lot of people, um, I think my career started a little bit as an accident, meaning that I was a college student uh, living uh, off campus and uh, broke like most students in that era and uh, looking for a place that I could walk to work. And I found a posting for a job at Henry Ford Hospital. And I hadn't really thought about healthcare uh, at the time as a career, but I knew a few things that were important to me. I knew I wanted to work for an organization that had complexity. I actually like navigating gray matter. You know, a lot of people just only like things when they're clear and black and white. That's not me at all. I love gray matter. And I knew I wanted to work for an organization that had business as part of its mission because I believe in capitalism and I believe in, um, you know, the, the American dream, if you will. But I also wanted to work for a company that was producing something of value. I, I didn't yeah. want to be, you know, the head of a widget uh, company. I wanted to do something. And when I landed in my entry-level role in healthcare, I discovered that healthcare started checking all those boxes and more. And I was really turned on by the diversity of people that work in healthcare and the intellectual capacity that exists within healthcare. And I thought, wow, this is just a place that really uh, seems to fit me. So 
you know, I started entry level, spent uh, about a third of my career um, in HR and literally doing every role in human resources that you could think of up into including the chief human resource officer of the organization. And at the time, I was very professionally involved and was a past president of ASHRA. And then the second third of my career was operations. And that was a, um, a pivot that not everyone makes, and I'm happy to talk about that later. And then this last third of my career um, has been more in the executive capacity and now serving as president and CEO. Yeah. Well, we could unpack. We could forget all the other topics that we sent you. And we can, we can unpack that in detail. You said a lot. Um, what, do, what do you think, Luke? Because my mind went straight to, Bob, the first thing you said about um, you weren't you accidentally fell into it. You weren't necessarily looking for healthcare, but that when you saw the job posting and you start thinking about what healthcare brings and everything that's involved, um, Luke and I have had that conversation with, with a lot of folks, especially um, the military community and people transitioning and, and um the healthcare being a space, it's like, don't just think about it as the clinicians, right? Obviously your, your mind might go to, well, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a medic. I'm not, I'm not a radiologist. I'm, I'm not in healthcare, but it's like, wow. But healthcare has, is this ecosystem that takes a lot of folks to make it work and run. And the business side, it just can become a fascinating conversations for people who've never really thought about jumping into the healthcare industry because their mind has always been set on, well, the clinical part of it. And, and not the non-clinical and all the other things that are wrapped into that, that actually make it work. Um, Luke, what do you think? I, I could not agree more. I mean, Bob, I'm, I'm fascinated by healthcare. I mean, obviously, because very involved, right? But uh, what fascinates me the most about it, I think, is what kind of what Bo said. There's a job for everybody, right? But even more so, a couple things. One, it is a direct reflection of the community it operates in from a business and care perspective. So like, you know, your health system, if you think about it, is really like holding up a mirror to Detroit and you have the ability to change what that reflection is going to look like on a daily best basis. And it's the only industry in the world where you can start off right in college, wanting to work next to somebody. Heck, you don't even have to go to college. You can be working with some of the smartest people in the country. And you know what? Maybe one day be CEO of that organization. That does not exist in any other industry I can think of. I get goosebumps just talking about it. Well, I, I think that um, everything you described is spot on. And, you know, in many ways, healthcare systems are almost like a mini version of a state. I mean, yeah. you literally yes. have everything from, you know, the governmental policy impact, the financial um, investment impact the people impact. It's a people-oriented business. And then you deal with patients and consumers, in many cases, at their most vulnerable time in their lives. So the psychological aspects of the industry are phenomenal. And then let's throw in that you know health systems are a melting pot that represent talent from every part of the world. So you have that richness of diversity, but that comes with complexity itself. And so I think you have to be a curious person to really uh, make a career in healthcare. You have to want to be intellectually stimulated every day and be comfortable that any room you're in, you're not the smartest person in that room. And that's yeah. okay because there's really subject matter experts in everything you can think of. And so, 
you know, for me, I always ask myself as I've talked to a lot of my colleagues that have great careers in other great industries, but how many of them can say that they literally have never spent a day not being intellectually stimulated by something? And yep. healthcare allows that to happen. And then at the end of the day, Luke, you raise a great point. Healthcare systems are a microcosm of the communities that they serve. And we all know that health status varies dramatically depending on the zip code you live in. And so you have to build health systems that can scale up and be really big, but never lose the heart and soul of a connection to an individual community because that's what they expect from you. And their needs aren't the same as the community 20 miles over. And so again, it's how do you scale and create you know, kind of a, a system, but at the same time, be very personalized to individual needs. And I, I just find that all very fascinating. Yeah. I'll give you, you know, that intellectual curiosity, I think is is perfect. And when I was doing my, my MBA at Michigan, which later in life was literally just six or seven years ago, at the time, one of your um, uh, OBGYNs, Dr. Monica Griffith, um, she was she was one of my classmates. And I think we both had that. And she was on my team the very first semester. And, you know, she's in her world, you know, super smart, just off the charts. Um, But she had never had a need in life. And it makes sense to work with Excel. She's like, that's that's not my world. Right. And of course, you get into an MBA program, you know, right off the bat. Okay, we got to do this, these these, uh, regression analysis and all this other stuff using Excel. And um both of us being on the same team and curious uh, intellectually together, right? It's like I had something to offer to her because I could help her and teach her how to use Excel. And I think if you take that into the workplace and in the healthcare and you have that, that mindset of being curious, wow, you, you, you will be on a path of learning like never before. Well, the only way healthcare works is to play it as a team sport. Yeah. For exactly what you said. And so you know, we try and attract into our culture people that have the ability to play in the sandbox with others because individualism is important, but healthcare needs a coordinated effort. And that's what patients and family members need. And if you just look at something like, you know, cancer uh, diagnosis now, you know, cancer used to be you go to one specialist and they give you a perspective and a potential um, uh, treatment path, and then you might go to a different specialist. But now you have multidisciplinary tumor boards that come together from all the different disciplines, surgical, non-surgical, and they review every case. Wow. And they debate and they decide what is the best course of treatment for this patient, and is there an alternative we should suggest to them as well? There's so much power in that teaming, and Henry Ford just uh, does it so well. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fascinating. Hey, hey, Bob, in in, in your uh, experience as CHRO, how has that influenced how you operate the organization now, especially from a business perspective with having that intimate background of human resources as well? Because we don't, I mean, it's not a typical path. You've seen everything. And I got to imagine there's influences that came from that journey uh, that helped define the what the health system is today and where it's going? It's a great question. And I've learned a lot from my time in HR. Um, One is that, you know, you have to hold people 
to an accountability, of course, but you also have to let them have a little room to grow up. You know, I mean, people do learn um, and they mature. And if they're really core producing some great results, then, you know, help them coach them through something that they've done wrong versus initially starting very punitive. Uh, and you'll get so much more out of individuals when that happens. It's kind of like our safety environment. You know, if we have people fear reporting safety issues because they feel like they'll be, quote, disciplined, then we're never going to improve our processes and learn. So we want them, if they've made a mistake, to feel comfortable coming forward, knowing that we're going to approach it as a learning and we're going to adopt some fixes. And so culture is something that I've become really in tune to in terms of how powerful it makes or breaks organizations. And to me, the difference in culture is let's assume everyone shows up and plans on giving you, you know, a good day's work. That's fine. But if you have a great culture, people will give you discretionary effort. They'll go that extra mile. They'll, even if it's not their job, they'll walk 50 feet over to a patient or a family that looks lost and say, can I help you? find your way. You know, they will do those things. And so culture becomes incredibly important. And cultures don't happen and they don't maintain without a lot of nourishment. So I look at, you know, one of my roles in many ways as chief energy officer. I mean, I've got to help infuse optimism, confidence, planning, you know, making sure people are finding joy in work, even though it's a very tough, very serious business. So you know, kind of how to help the organization work hard and play hard. Um, and, and you have to be real purposeful about that. And you have to lead by example. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Have you registered for ASHRAE's June 4th webinar yet? Attend Optimizing Employee Wellness, How Infirmary Health Aligned HR and Pharmacy for Better Benefits, and Earn a CEU. Isn't that the truth? For sure. Uh, Bob, this gives me to another question that I that I just thought of. I love your perspective on this. So two sides of scaling, right? Because you have both experiences in both. So scaling from a business perspective, I think the listeners kind of understand what that means and how to do it. Scaling a product, it's fairly straightforward. How can you help the most people and put in efficiencies, right? That probably came in with your operations experience. Uh Scaling people and culture. How do you do that? Because there is, you know, companies are can be good at scaling products, but scaling people and culture is a whole different ball game. And I, I'm interested in your take on it because what you have can't exist unless you have it dialed in to scale in those people and the culture. Yeah, there's no question that uh, without a culture you're not going to sustain and achieve the business goals that you have set. (laughs) And I will tell you that you have to be very purposeful and culture is an investment and you have to look at it almost like any other capital investment. And you have to approach it as if you're putting money aside for brick and mortar, you've got to be putting money aside for culture because culture takes people learning about the mission of the organization, why it's so important storytelling becomes really, really important. So, you know, the impact that we have on a patient or a family, if it's really positive or if it's really negative, we have to learn from those experiences and we have to understand 
whether our culture facilitated a great result or our culture broke down and got in the way. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of leadership development. We do a lot of storytelling. You know, it's a very powerful vehicle for adults to learn. And we also um, invest in our frontline managers and supervisors because while everyone says culture starts at the top, and it absolutely does, if you really think about it, the frontline supervisors are the unsung heroes because they're at the intersect of all of this, and they have such tough jobs, especially in an industry that's got shortage of, uh, of uh, talent and you know, job openings and pressure on volumes and pressure on costs. So we got to make sure that they feel connected, that they feel a sense of belonging. And our culture work, we call it a, a culture of belonging because we think belonging is a powerful, powerful word. If you feel that you belong somewhere, then you're going to navigate through thick and thin to help the organization because you feel like the organization in turn is committed to you. I think that is key. I, yeah, I walk around a lot and I, my team walks around a lot. You know, at the end of the day, we always look for these highfalutin you know, solutions to things. But, you know, life is not as complicated as we wake up every day to make it. And so in just wandering around and just thanking people for what they're doing, telling them you notice, I try and write 10 to 15 personal notes a week, handwritten, and I mail them to people's homes. And it can be about something I read about them. It can be about a physician that did a discovery Or it can be about a patient letter that said, this housekeeper made me smile. And what I have found is people are blown away to not only get a handwritten note, but especially sent to their home. And I've had people that I run into that say, I still have a note you sent me 20 years ago. Wow. And so, you know, it it tells you um, the impact you can have with small things. Sure. Yeah. Bob, I I hope everyone listening to this episode, if they take one thing away and they start doing something every week, send 10 handwritten notes to everybody, to somebody's home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think, that's I think put, that could transform what everyone does, right? Yeah. Putting the action behind, behind the, the concept of you want them to feel like they belong, right? So you're taking them from feeling it to they know it. Um, well, yes. And there's an extra effort by a handwritten note. You know, emails are great, but they're easy. Yeah. You know, this this shows some intentionality, and I think that's what people really appreciate. I agree. Too. I'm, I'm, I love your answer, Bob. I really do. Because, I, you know, I've been thinking just as we go through this journey with the podcast and meet all these guests, sc- scaling culture, are those two words are at odds with yeah, each other. they are. Right? Because there's no way to scale an individual. Right. We just have to make sure and you hit the nail on the head with the sense of belonging. Right. So I think any of the HR pros listening, maybe that's where to start. Right. Big things maybe won't happen overnight. But if you can give somebody that sense of belonging and do what Bob just said here, I think you can reach scalability by focusing on the individual. That makes sense. It does. And let me just say one other thing, because I've learned about this through the years. If you try and eradicate microcultures so that you just have one big culture, you really are doing damage. You have to get comfortable accepting that, you know, whether it's an individual hospital or an individual unit or an individual ambulatory site, all places develop their own kind of microculture. 
And what you want as a system for scaling is some big tenets of a system-wide culture that we hold near and dear and that everyone you know, adheres to. But don't try and micromanage every aspect of every subculture because that's what gets in the way. And I find people, you know, spending too much time trying to commoditize everything. And so what we've worked with our team are what are the attributes of a system culture that are non-negotiable? We have to have those. And then if someone is doing something unique that's not in conflict with that culture, but it works in their own environment, go at it. You know, we should be comfortable. Um, but that takes people that are comfortable in gray matter, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. And, and so to me, that's the ultimate key. Yeah, I love that. I think that's, um, man, yeah, that's really good stuff. Yeah, I'm loving every bit of this. If you, I'm, if you can't see me, listeners, but I'm like quickly writing down notes here and taking all these little nuggets from Bob because I'm going to be a better person after listening to this. <laughs> I can tell you that. So, Bob, how um, did um, how did everything that you're talking about when it comes to culture and belonging, did that play a key role in your health system getting through the pandemic? And then everything that you learned coming through COVID, um, how is that shaping your future strategies um, moving forward? It's a great question. I'll, I'll start with the latter part of that question. And that's that um, the lessons we learned from the pandemic that are really now um, changing our organization is how fast we can make decisions when there is no other option. And so how do we apply that acceleration of decision-making outside of a crisis yeah. and hardwire it into the organization? And, you know, the example that I would give is, you know, we went from doing about 12,000 virtual visits a week to 200,000 wow. during the COVID pandemic. So think about the scale that was required for something like that. But you know what? We did it and we did it really effectively. So those are the lessons learned about how do we you know, transfer some of the lessons and challenge who we are and how we show up. And it's about yeah. our you know, timeliness of decision making and kind of what I always say for most organizations, getting out of our own way. Um, but for the lessons from the actual pandemic, um, it was the most sobering time in my career by 10x anything else. And uh, the Detroit area was hit extremely hard and extremely early by you know, the pandemic when it was at its most strong and most deadly um, uh, density. And so we found ourselves at you know, our highest point with 900 very, very sick COVID inpatients in our hospital, you know, making um, units that weren't designed to be units. Um, right. And we were losing a lot of people. And um, in the midst of it, while I was running um, our command center, and it was a 24-7 all hands on deck, one of my dearest, dearest friends died of COVID in our own ICU oh, no. hmm. and, um, and was, I was overseeing that process. And so, you know, it was very real and very personal to me at a very, very um, sobering level. And then we had an employee in our ER pass away from COVID. 
And then we had one of our physicians that was treating COVID patients end up on a ventilator extremely ill. And so, you know, as a leader, all of a sudden you're like, what, what are, what's happening here? You know, we don't have the right equipment. You know, we're, we're facing something we've never seen before. How do you lead? And I remember yeah. at night saying, how do you lead? How do you lead? And I decided a couple of things. One is to remind the group and just really center us around, we are going to focus on things we can control. We're going to not spend a lot of emotion on things we can't control. And we're going to make a list of things we can control. And every meeting, every huddle, we're going to ask ourselves whether it's on that list. Is what we're talking about on that list? And if it's not, let's park it. Because we've got to focus on everything we can do. And that was mostly around supplies and getting equipment, basic equipment to, you know, all of our staff. Because, you know, to me, the, the most sobering moment ever was thinking kind of like, I'm sending my troops out to battle without the proper weapons. Yeah. And I don't use military analogies hardly ever, but that's what it felt like when we didn't have enough protective equipment. Yep. But back to your culture question, you know that you've got a great culture when teams start solving problems without even having to go up the chain and without worrying that they need to get permission. And I'll just give you two examples that they're very emotional for me to this day. We had um, so many COVID patients in makeshift ICUs at one point. We had no ability to get enough protective equipment, you know, gowns, masks, et cetera. And so some of our nurses at one of our hospitals realized that every single time the patient called them for anything, they had to go in and out of the room. They had to um, get rid of, excuse me, they had to get rid of the um, protective equipment they were wearing and put a new set on. And so they were burning through very limited supplies. So on their own, without asking anybody, they went to every baby store they could find and they bought every baby monitor they could get. And they set up baby monitors in these makeshift ICUs so they could communicate on a regular basis with the patient without having to go in and out of the room so many times and deplete the um, protective equipment. Yeah. It was a great example of problem solving and feeling empowered to fix. And then the other one, which was, um, I, I just think about it to this day, is like many hospitals that were hit, we ran out of room in our morgue to put the deceased um, individuals. And so we had at one point two or three refrigeration trucks that were um, adjunct to um, safely hold the bodies. And there was a lot of media and a lot of grieving from families around this notion of, you know, they're staring at this cold metal truck and thinking their loved one is in there. And, you know, you just, it's heartbreaking. Our yeah. landscaping department, without asking, went and planted really nice bushes and trees all in front of the trucks. So they had a, just a softer look, you know, just a, a more caring look. And yeah. I can give you a bunch of other examples, but I mean, those examples are of people that care and are just determined to do their part at a time that they're scared themselves. 
So yep. those that to me is a culture. Of course, I think that is. I think that's brilliant for everybody listening. When you know you hear people talking about um, empower your people, right? That Bob, you're hitting it right on the head. That's what empowerment looks like. People who care and they know that they they can solve for the problems that they're facing, and nobody's going to hit them on the head with a hammer. You know what are you doing, right? It's like that's what you want, and look what look what results you get when people know that they can actually solve for the problems they're facing. Um, and, and, and their organization supports it. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Well, you have to fuse energy, positive energy during dire times. And one of the things our nursing um, departments did too, is as we were starting to have people that were in the hospital with COVID, but we were actually saving them and they were able to ultimately get discharged and go home. They wanted to celebrate because they had seen so much, you know, just, you know, sadness. And so, you know, they created a model where they were all going to wear masks and they created a, a line. And as patients were being discharged, they played Don't Stop Believing by Journey loud and they clapped as the patients were coming through. And That's it was a very cool. moving moment. Yeah. And so through a friend of mine, I actually contacted the band Journey and told them what our nursing department was doing. Wow. And they sent a video of each of them individually telling our nurses how much it meant to them to have their song used in this way. And it was the most emotional um, connection with a song they've ever seen. And they even did some riffs on the guitars and stuff. <laughs> did they really? Video. So, you know, that's about producing energy and making yeah. people feel good in the most dire of circumstances. Yeah, great job. That is, that is a great, great story. I love it. Yeah, this is great. Bob, it's just the, the, I get the feeling that you work so hard for your people that in turn, they work incredibly hard for you. But, but I also just from meeting you, uh, no, you probably wouldn't take credit for that. <laughs> We've got amazing team members and, you know, I'll say one thing, cause you talk about communities, you know, we take care of the wealthiest of wealthy and the poorest of the poor. And we find it a privilege to do all um, uh, communities. And so, you know, if you think about the kind of people that work at Henry Ford Health System, I think they're the kind of people that don't want an easy environment. They don't want to live and serve in a community that maybe has all the resources it needs. They want to make a difference. They want to dig in and be a part of something bigger than themselves. And that's our team. And, and you know, I just... Uh, couldn't be more proud of who they are. Yeah, that's super good. You know, you've been in the Detroit area for a, for a, a long time, and this is where you've spent your career in, in Henry Ford. You know, we you know, especially for Michiganders, you, you know what the ups and downs of Detroit as a city has gone through. Um, obviously, on the rebound, you know, with all your involvement in the community, Bob, and different boards that you've sat on and participated in, what has that journey been like, and how much has that meant to you? combining you know the work you're doing at henry ford and the work in the community and participating in has that really led to like work-life harmony for you and what has that meant to you over the years you know i used to think that work-life balance was compartmentalizing work and then compartmentalizing the other aspects of your life so that you're not letting the two intersect and in my younger days and uh boy was i wrong about that 
Um, I yeah. think the life balance is by integrating them in a way that really works for you and for your family. Um, because you can't put these things in boxes, right? right? And so my involvement in the community is really an extension of who I am as a leader at Henry Ford, because we believe that we're responsible for the health of a community. And you can't have a healthy community if you just have great health care. You have to have great education systems. You have to have economic vitality. You know, you have to have access to resources. And so, you know, if you really believe in the health of a community, you're going to lean in in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. And for me, that's been really engaging and energizing. And, you know, Detroit in many ways is, is an underdog. And, you know, it's made up of brilliant, caring people that love focusing on the underdog. Um, you know, it's a gritty town, gritty area made up of amazing people. Um, you know, I don't think there's anywhere, even in the labeled Midwest, that you'll find just more authentic people. Um, what you see is what you get than you will in the greater Detroit community and in Michigan. And so for me, being a part of its rebound um, is really important because, you know, these so-called Rust Belt cities created the economy of this country. And now we've got to remember that and support them as they rebuild. And we're getting that in Detroit. There's an energy that's palpable and it's no longer suburb versus city. It's an aligned, let's row in the same direction and rock this boat. And, and it's a lot of fun. Nice. You're going to be our champion, our, our adopted champion of work-life harmony. Cause Luke and I ditched that balance yeah. word, uh, a while ago and, and we try to get other people to like stop saying work-life balance because you're not going to balance it's just not yeah. going to happen yeah right? it's a terrible it's, place. It, yeah it is and you said it perfectly with you know it's like two boxes well put two boxes on a teeter-totter and you're going to spend all day just trying to get the weight correctly in each one to make sure it it doesn't move in either direction the wrong way and that would be that's the case with work-life balance something's going to give yes right where if you focus on harmony and finding the integration right between because it's just your life and and when you can do that wow that's when the stars align yes yeah you cannot separate the two two and listeners no you can't do it your team members can't do it there's only one you right like and you shouldn't have to separate your professional life from your personal life i mean having normal boundaries is fine but it what like you can't keep them separate for that long you'll lose your sanity you have to have purpose and direction tied together for both of them and know that you're doing the right thing for both of them at the same time you'll be yeah. focused on a scorecard instead of focused on living your life that's right darn right that's right darn right about well, then you don't mind it yeah I'll go i was gonna say you don't mind it with work-life harmony because usually like if i need to knock something out for work Really, it probably is only going to take 15 or 20 minutes, and my family is very understanding about it. But I noticed in the past when I tried to do the work-life balance, I'd fail at both because I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't make the sacrifice for that 15 minutes, and then I wouldn't be present with my family because I'd be thinking about it and it'd be hung over my head. Yeah, Bo and I just ditched all of that, and it's uh, we're much happier. It's liberating. Yes. yes. Yes, it is. Well, Bob, I know we're coming up on our on our time slot with you. Um, I think I think a great way to kind of bring this home. Um, if you have any advice or guidance you might give to our audience, HR professionals in healthcare, um, aspiring 
aspiring a career path um, similar to what you've had, whether it's they just want to you know, make it to the CHRO level and, and lead HR in their organization, or if they truly would one day like to be a CEO or president of a health system. Um, what are some of the things, some key aspects uh, that you think that they should be participating in? Um, is it mentorship? Is it business? Is it you know, spending time with your operations team? What would you recommend they do? Well, I first of all want to thank HR professionals because they have a very, very tough role that they play in any industry and especially in healthcare. And oftentimes they can be the unsung heroes. So you know, I just want to acknowledge that it is an incredibly important field and one that I personally rely on a lot. In terms of the question about um, what they should do, I've really come to believe that the most important conversation one has is the one with themselves. Mm -hmm. And so what I would first tell our HR practitioners, if you want to move into operations or you want to advance into the CHRO role or whatever, then ask yourself if your headspace is aligned with that. Because if you're having conversations about, oh, that won't work because, or, oh, I'll never get supported for this, then, you know, don't, don't waste your energy because you've already determined your, your, your destiny. And so um, I would secondly tell people, be curious. And so, you know, early in my career, I was always curious about what was going on in other departments, what was going on in other fields that had nothing to do with me. And then when I started to get interested in operations, I had people tell me, well, you're HR. HR doesn't do operations. And I remember thinking to myself, BS, good leaders are good leaders. And if you can learn and become a good leader, you should be able to transfer that leadership to almost any domain. But you have to believe that. And so I started doing non-traditional things. I started leaning in and volunteering for projects that were in operations, not as the HR rep, just as an interested party. And I started attending professional meetings that were totally outside of my um, career lane. I went to chief financial officer conferences when I was the chief human resource officer. One time they even called me and said, I think you've made a mistake. <laughs> this is for chief financial officers. And I said, well, are you telling me I can't attend? And they said, no, but it's not. I wanted to get out of my lane. I wanted to see how CFOs think, how they get together, how, what, what's on their priority list. So I would tell people, get out of your comfort zone, you know, and think about yourself as a leader first, not an HR leader, not a finance leader, not a business leader, not a clinical leader, a leader. And what are the attributes you need to lead? And then how do you apply it to specific disciplines? And that's the advice I would give people. Fantastic. That's a mic drop right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a wrap, right? Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> Luke, Luke, any parting thoughts for Bob? Uh, Bob, thanks so much for your time. I was very excited coming into this, but I had no idea where the conversation would lead. Uh, I'm energized for today, just for, uh, probably for this year, actually. And I know our listeners will be too. It's just, you know, it's very, I hope people tell you all the time uh, that what you're doing is really making a difference. I don't even work at Henry Ford and it's made a difference in my day. Just in hearing you talk about the way you address things and think about things 
And after hearing, uh, you know, the stories you told, especially about, you know, the landscaping team or the folks that went out and grabbed the baby monitors after speaking to you, it doesn't shock me at all because I would feel empowered to go. I would not as a leader, I would not let you fail, Bob. I wouldn't. And I can see that's probably one of the secret sauces to your success over at Henry Ford. That's very kind. I, I will tell you, I've had amazing mentors in my life from previous leaders at Henry Ford. And I try and be a mentor to as many people as I can because we're all on a learning journey, you know, and, uh, and as long as you're open to learning and you keep some humility to yourself, I think great things can happen. Yep. Isn't that the truth? Absolutely. Take us home, Bo. Astro Nation, you have been listening to, <laughs> yeah, to Bob Reining, President and CEO of Michigan's Henry Ford Health System. I recommend, highly recommend uh, you listen to this one over and over and, and pick out all those, all those pieces Bob's talking about uh, that could really make a huge difference in your own professional individual journey, but more importantly, as a team uh, and as an organization. Uh, if you need to, if you need to get in touch with us or you'd like to get in touch with us, hit us up at fan feedback at the bone Luke show.com. Uh, you can always email Luke and I directly, uh, either Bo at the bone Luke show.com or Luke at the bone Luke show.com hit up the website by all means, provide us feedback. We'd like to hear from you. Uh, it only helps us be better, know better and do better. And with that Astro nation, that's a wrap. Still listening? Save your seat for the upcoming June 4th ASHRA webinar with RX Benefits and Infirmary Health today. Questions for the speakers? Send them ahead of time to ashra.edu at ashra.org.